Between the Banners, Episode 2. For those who missed the litany of announcements last week, this is the new Tar Heel blog podcast hosted by the SB Nation Podcast Network. If you're not listening to this on your favorite podcast platform yet, you will be soon. Thanks for joining us tonight. My name is Chad Floyd. I am the host of These Here Things, and I am joined by three guests to talk, well, partially about the weight game, but more so about the game that's coming up on Wednesday night. So, from somewhere in Massachusetts, I've got Al Hood on the line. Al, you are a many-time guest of the old Weekly Tar Heel, first-time guest of the Tar Heel Blog Podcast. How does it feel? I cannot tell you how honored I am to be on this brand new podcast. Y'all, Since here y'all heard it here first. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, we, we we had an issue with sincerity uh, in the little pre-podcast meeting. Uh, most of that was caused by my second guest, another guy making his debut on this platform, Joe Carpenter. Joe, still feeling honored to be in our presence tonight. Honestly, I'm I'm like the UMBC Cinderella at this ball. I'm just happy to be invited to the dance. Well, you're winning by 20 against the number one seed in all of our hearts, Joe. And for the second Monday night in a row recording with me, um, th- this is the guy who you need to feel sympathy for, Brandon Anderson, THB Brandon on Twitter. Brandon, what is the good word, sir? <laughs> Why you gotta feel bad for me? <laughs> uh, <laughs> because you uh, have to talk to me once a week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, got gotta do what I gotta do. No, I'm just kidding. Happy to be back. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, guys, um, we're not going to dwell too much on this. Unfortunately, uh, Wake Forest is not quite the level of arrival that. You know, the team we're playing on Wednesday night is. So UNC went to Lawrence Joel Coliseum, 195 to 57. I was working during the game, so admittedly, I did not see a second of it. I saw some highlights. Uh, we know Cam Johnson is good at basketball. Brandon, I'll go to you first. What was your one takeaway from this game? Cam Johnson is amazing. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, um, it was about, Everything that you would expect coming off of the game that took place against Virginia, UNC just kind of came out and felt like taking out their frustrations on somebody and Wake Forest kind of just laid there and took it. Um, they couldn't shoot. They couldn't play defense. They really just couldn't do anything. Cam Johnson was the biggest benefactor of that. And, yeah, it just got really, really ugly really, really quickly, but for once in a good way. So, you know, I I was all for it. Yeah, you can't go wrong with a 38-point win. Uh, Al, you know, was there anything besides Cam Johnson being good at basketball that uh, was really worth taking away? And um, I'll go ahead and steal game-opening runs of 18-0 and 35-7 because that kind of – for for those who didn't see it, that would kind of underscore what happened in this massacre. Yeah, I mean, I think Brandon touched on probably the best takeaway there is that this, for the second Saturday in a row, they had a game that would be considered trap game written all over it. Um, you know, long layoff, noon at Saturday, a very important week coming up, opponent that is not of 
the caliber of opponent that they had been facing. Um, and they, uh, there's always a concern, especially with recent Rory Williams teams that they would have their WTF game and they made it very clear very early that they were not looking past Wake Forest, which, you know, it's impressive with this team. They've beaten the teams that they're supposed to beat this year. Um, which is the first time in a couple of years we've been able to say that of the, of, of these teams. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it kind of goes back to something Brandon and I touched on last week is, and, and you nailed it right on the head is that there are, you know, a couple of games that just kind of make you scratch your head every year. And maybe the Miami game, despite it being a win, was one of those games. Um, but the team showing the wherewithal to go ahead and, Dispatch opponents early, which is always a lot more fun to talk about. Uh, Joe, what what was the most fun part of the game for you? Uh, I think it was that through the first 10 minutes, uh, Wake was on pace to score 12 points for the game, which would have been half of the record-setting amount that we saw in Raleigh a couple weeks ago. So I was pretty excited <laughs> about that possibility, but just didn't come to fruition. Uh, defense clearly slacked off in that final 30 minutes and gave up uh, – 50 points, give or take. But it, it was, uh, honestly, I think to Al's point, a trap game is correct. I think it was a, um, a good game from a team morale standpoint because that last eight minutes against Virginia was excruciating. And you could definitely see the possibility that a team would come out of that and hang their heads a little bit. And that is just not what happened on Saturday. So really, I think kudos to Coach Williams. I really, uh, believe that he motivated that that squad well to come out and get yet another road win. Yes, sir. And UNC is still undefeated on the road in AC on the road in ACC play. That would have made a great segue, but just wanted to check in. Um, does anybody have any concerns about Nasir Little not playing in the second half? Um, he did get 11 minutes in the first half, looked to be fine from what I, from all accounts. Um, was there any update or was that just a precautionary measure to make sure we had him from Duke? The, so, um, well, go I was going to say, thank you. His, um, so Roy basically said right after the game that, uh, he took a shot in the sternum and wasn't feeling too great. Uh, they talked at halftime and by that point it was already pretty clear that the game was going to be out of hand. So precautionary, they decided to just go ahead and sit him. Um, I believe in his press conference today, he said he was feeling uh, a lot better um, than he was on Saturday. And they were talking a lot more about the sternum than they were about the ankle. So I don't think the ankle is a concern with him anymore. Yeah, and on Roy's radio show tonight, he did say that he's going to be good to go for Wednesday. So that pretty much, you know, takes all the guessing out of it. We should have, we should have the Nas versus Zion matchup that we were hoping for at the beginning of the season. So, well, kind of, but you know what I mean. And that, my friend, is a segue. So, Brandon, I'm going to take it to you right there. Um, how How is UNC going to match up with Duke here? Because, and, you know, for those uninitiated, UNC plays at Duke on Wednesday night. They're going to put that undefeated ACC record on the line. But Duke would appear athletically to be a little bit of a mismatch for Carolina. So you talked about the Nasir versus uh, Zion Williamson matchup, and that will probably not be one we see at the opening tip. But 
if you were going to just uh, give it a brief rundown, who do you see Brooks opening on? Who do you see May opening on? And who do you see Johnson opening on? Because I think obviously we'll have Kobe White versus uh, Jones and um, Kenny Williams on what is his name? Jack White? Jack White, the other starter? This is great podcast material. Okay, Brandon, I'm going to kick it. <laughs> um, so I think, well, let me, let me tell you what I want to happen. I, I want Brooks to start off on Zion. I want May to slide over and cover Bolden. And I want Johnson to, I'm going to say that I want him to cover Reddish because I think Kenny might be the best shot of trying to contain Barrett. Um, mm-hmm. I could be wrong there, but I feel like that is ideally what should happen in terms of what might actually happen is a bit unclear. I mean, I would think that Roy would, you know, put his best defender on their best player, but also I, he's just a tough matchup. Like he's, he's so tough. I mean, Every time I try to look for a flaw in that guy, I end up coming up with nothing because he just finds a way to do something else incredible. And it makes me a little nauseous having to, like, nothing bad to say about a Duke guy, but it's just kind of where we're at this year, so. Well, and, you know, if we can say something bad about him right quick, I mean, the ESPN hype is just, made me dislike him and I don't dislike him at all when I watch him play and it's a fascinating little set of mental gymnastics I have to do to say, man, I'm so sick of this damn guy, you know, getting the Michael Beasley or Derek Rose or, you know, name your one and done Trey Young uh talent um just attention, but I just don't dislike the guy. Um Joe, for me, maybe the more interesting question, well at least as interesting is what they do with RJ Barrett. So Brandon said that he thought Kenny Williams might start off on him. Is that the way you see it? Do you think uh, his length's going to be a problem or do you think they're going to start off with uh, Cam Johnson? Yes. So I, I think I'm going to throw a little uh, wrench in the works here. I think Carolina goes heavy doses of against Duke. Uh, you've seen Roy do that over the years at times, uh, mostly to try to preserve for foul trouble. But as we tend to move toward March, he likes to throw that sort of quasi matchup zone in the works. You've got a Duke team that does, frankly, does not shoot well from deep. And I know that, uh, Barrett's been picking it up a little bit, but you know, he checks in at under 34%. You got reddish at 34 and from there it's downhill. Uh, and so I, I'm looking at a zone that packs it in. You try to get matched up with, with, uh, Williamson underneath, uh, just to get a body on him. And, and you don't have to worry about these individual matchups, frankly. And look, if Duke hits threes, they're going to win the game. I mean, that's the bottom line. But if they don't, uh, which they have not, frankly, for the bulk of this year, then I think, taking it away from those individual matchups where maybe their athleticism is a little better than ours and putting it in a situation where we're playing space against them and we're getting quality box outs, which clearly we can do on the interior and pulling down rebounds and then pulling out from there. I think that's a good thing. And of course the other thing is Duke really likes to run and I know that Carolina likes to run, but Duke has a very fast pace. They get a lot of points in transition. 
And so to the extent you back it in a little bit, uh, I think that that can help uh, disrupt their pace, which is, uh, I, I feel like is more important to their offensive flow than it is to ours. I like it. And that is, you know, you, you don't hear Roy Williams and zone in the same sentence very often, but it could be something that we need to explore just for the reasons you stated. Al, where's uh, Nasir Little fit into this for you? Um, maybe an over-under on his minutes, you know, barring foul trouble. And is he really the X factor in this game as far as North Carolina is concerned, in your opinion? I think over and under uh, for his minutes-wise was going to be 20. I mean, he played 11 in a first half that got out of hand when, you know, supposedly they were trying to – it was pretty clear on that Wake was not going to be – that strong of an opponent. So it's clear that Rory wants to use Nasir as much as possible without starting. And because, I mean, anybody that you put out on the floor, we can have the Luke May discussion a little bit later, but he's not going to, he's not going to sit Luke for uh, Nasir and Brooks, who's won so many defensive player of the game awards from the team, you know, deserves to be out there at least to begin with. Um, it is an X factor because Nasir is not going to be intimidated like some of these players kind of have been with Zion because they've already played one on one a decent amount and Zion and um sorry Nasir's gotten the better of them. Um, th- is that going to translate to it turning into a one on one match when they're out on the floor? I don't think that that's necessarily going to be it, but um. I do think that the confidence that he can bring off the bench and the fact that, you know, you bring him back on the bench and now you've got a, you've got a Brandon Robinson who's actually starting to show some, um, some spirit and some confidence when he comes out there. You know, you can play seven guys at least 20 minutes and then give seventh woods and give, um, even you'll probably see play tech in the first half just to save the minutes for the guys. Um, you run a, you run a rotation that's deeper than Duke. So he's an X factor in sort of the bigger scheme that Carolina is going to have the deeper bench that can allow them to maybe throw some different looks at Duke that they wouldn't be expecting. And speaking of looks that Duke might not be expecting, I'm ready for about eight to 10 good minutes from Brandon Huffman. Can we get it, Joe? Uh, maybe in two minutes spurts, right? So he really is <laughs> going to, I think, be the X factor. But first of all, he's going to have to match up on defense. He's going to have to not be a liability on offense. And by that, I mean, he, we, we can't have turnovers. So th- this team starts outside in. They're, they're going to be shots outside. He's not going to be a primary focus on offense. But he does have the physical capability to get some offensive rebounds, to get that put back now and then, maybe to pick up a foul or two on the inside. Um, and, and those are the kinds of issues that, that we're really going to need. It, um, we are just not going to have enough Brooks to get through the whole game on defense. He's not going to be able to sustain there. And frankly, if it gets out in a lot of transition, it may is going to be outmatched. Um, just from a, a physicality standpoint, from an athleticism standpoint, uh, not that he can't keep up, not that he can't play, but he, he is going to get work there and you need Huffman to come in and, and 
lower the boom a couple of times, right? Make a presence inside. Uh, have the Duke guys be a little wary of, of driving the lane on occasion. I, I think that that's necessary. But again, I look for that in like two minute spurts, right? And we need a minute 45 to two and a half before or after maybe the 12 minute timeout in there, just after the eight minute timeout where you're getting some rest for your other bigs. Yeah. And I think you'll see him more, you know, with. Marcus Bolden or Javin Delorier on the court, you know, where you can kind of steal a couple minutes for him. But Brandon, let's, let's talk about some of the positives of this matchup. I mean, compared to Duke teams of old, this is, as has been mentioned, just a very bad shooting Duke team. And it's a very good by comparison UNC team, uh, from shooting from long range. So can UNC just space and pace these guys to death and have Kobe White, Luke May, Kenny Williams and Cam Johnson just raining threes on them? I think it's possible. Uh, it They're going to have to be very careful about it because Duke is extremely di- disruptive on defense. Trey Jones and Zion Williamson have found just unlimited amount of ways to disrupt, you know, pass flow and – you know, all of a sudden the ball's down the court and we see another one of those highlight dunks or, you know, something like that. Um, but UNC is very, I feel like they have the leg up overall on offense in terms of what they're actually capable of doing from like a, just from like an all over the court perspective. The thing about Duke is, yeah, they're not a good perimeter shooting team. And they just love attacking the basket and, you know, they get a bunch of points off, you know, in transition off of turnovers and things like that. I feel like what UNC has been good at this year, you know, kind of with the perimeter aspect, you know, included in that is, you know, they still know how to drive. Um, you know, they've been getting some good plays off the pick and roll. Um, just in general, playing in half court has been better than, you know, maybe the past year or so have been, which is unusual. Um, I do think the pick and roll is going to be important. One thing I noticed, especially when it comes to Kobe White, is that Trey Jones kind of tails behind who he's guarding off the pick and roll, he tends to go under the screen and, you know, if somebody's quick enough, he's just going to get burned. And I mean, I, I noticed this against state Kobe's a lot faster than Markel Johnson. So that will be something that hopefully they'll look to exploit. But then of course, if Kobe drives, his next obstacle is going to be Zion or Bolden. So I think if they play it right, you know, they have a lot of positives on the offensive end. You know, shots should go in. I'm not terribly concerned about them not going in. Um, I think the biggest thing for them is just to play clean and not to panic. And Al, I'll ask you, you know, not, not quite the same question, but, you know, maybe where you see some of those shots falling coming from, because it, I don't know if it's anecdotal at this point or what, but it usually seems like the rims are pretty wide open when UNC and Duke get together in Cameron. Yeah, I mean, it's 
to win, Carolina is going to have to shoot well from outside. I mean, I don't think that's going to be any sort of breaking news. Um, you know, it's a good thing that Cam Johnson has is coming off the performance that he is and that Kobe still has the confidence that he does. Um, but the one other factor is going to be, and we talked about this a little bit in our Slack channel, is what sort of defense is Duke going to use on Carolina? You know, in their comeback against Louisville, they found some success extending the zone out three-quarters court and just completely creating a panic for Louisville. Do they use, If they get behind, do they do the same thing to Carolina, and does that open up transition baskets for a team like Carolina, where as most of their shots have still been outside, they still look to get the ball from end to end in about four seconds and get a layup. Um, you know, so can they, can they speed Duke up in the sense that, or can they break a press? Will Duke try the pressure and will it allow for some easy buckets in transition? Because before they, before Duke came back from that 23 points, Louisville was having some real success in rebounding, getting out and just out running the Devils. Um, and I would hope that the coaching staff basically examined that whole tape and saw what exactly Louisville did good and bad and try to use that to their, try to use that to their advantage, um, come Wednesday night. Oh, I agree. If we're pulling them into a three quarters court game, it is definitely good news for the heels and definitely something they can exploit. What we're going to do is take a quick break right quick. And when we're back, I'm going to ask Joe a quick question. And we are back. Joe, what does UNC have to do to pull Duke into a three-quarters court press style game? Um, I think there's one answer that you may have mentioned before, but uh, how can Carolina do it, and what does it portend if they can manage it? Yeah, so, so going up 20 in the second half apparently has worked. Uh, at least to get him out into the defense, although as Al pointed out, that hasn't been particularly sec- successful for the uh, overall outcome of the game. It, it, Carolina's going to have to find a way to get open shots, and that's if I'm if I'm Duke, I'm going to come out, I'm going to switch on all of the the ball screens, particularly the high ball screens. I'm going to make sure I stay with the shooters, and going to make Carolina drive and dish and find ways to score inside, which frankly has been a problem for most of the year. You know, on Carolina's end, I think, again, ball screens are going to be a, a big issue, and I would look for them to play them differently uh, against Duke. I look for going under the screen, staying in front of the ball handler, making sure that you're not giving up the drives, and go ahead and give up those open looks from two or three steps behind the three-point line. Because, again, if Duke hasn't done it all year, then that's what you want to do, and you, and you want to get them in that position. And I think if you do those two things, what you do is you make Duke take shots that they don't want to take. You end up getting some shots that you want to take, and hopefully they go in, and a Duke deficit means that they're pressing late in the game. Well, that would definitely be the best uh, way to go about it. I'm not going to ask for any predictions yet, but I kind of wanted to go a little bit off the basketball topic and – I'm going to preface this with the fact that Brandon and I discussed on an episode that never aired. NC State is a rival in that there is no mutual respect. It is all just kind of big brother, little brother hatred. Duke is a rivalry based on mutual respect and extreme, extreme pettiness. So, Brandon, I'm going to ask you first. 
Why do you dislike or respectfully disagree with the tactics of Duke, both as a, as a university and as a basketball program? So I think it starts with Coach K, which might be a weird place to start, but I feel like there's just always been something about him that's rubbed me the wrong way. Now, granted, he's a great coach. Like, I don't think anybody's denying that on this podcast that I would imagine. But I just, I feel like just kind of the way he's gone about things has been just, it's been easy to not like. It's very hard to explain. I think he just, he has this almost like too aggressive way about him when it comes to basketball. I think I read something somewhere where like he was crawling around like before talking to the guys, he was like dressed up like an army and soldier or something talking about they were going to war or something like that. Like he's just, he's a lot. He's like in press conferences and stuff. He doesn't seem like a lot, but he's a lot. Um, <laughs> that kind of brings me to the players. I just feel like he always gets these players that are just, they're so easy to dislike. Christian Leitner, JJ Reddick, Austin Rivers, Justice Winslow, Grayson Allen. Like there's always this demographic of players at Duke that it just never fails. You'll find something that you're just like, I can't stand this guy. I don't know how you didn't mention Dante Jones or Wojo in there. Yeah, you know, it's a long list. I just kind of had the name, so (laughs) roll with it. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, and I I didn't mean to cut you off there, but uh, you took mine, so I was going to let you cook. Um, I will be rerunning the post that outlines in about 1,700 words all of my issues with Coach K, but I'm 100% lockstep with you, man. You know, he doesn't do his own halftime interviews. He's the only coach in the country that does that. You know, Nick Saban does his halftime interviews. Um, everything he does is shameless self-promotion, and it is about Coach K. It's not about his program. It is about Coach K and his personal legacy, in my opinion. I just damn hate the man. Um, I'm trying to keep this a clean podcast. It might go sideways here. So, Al, you have a different perspective. You were in the you were in the UNC band uh, back late '90s. What was your experience like? Um, I know you got to see some classic UNC one versus two matchups against Duke. So do you have a better answer or is there a better answer than calling Coach K the reason? Well, no, there, there really isn't. I mean, um, my experience was, a um, my, my freshman year was Vince Carter and Antoine Jamison's last at Carolina. And I got to see that game in Chapel Hill where they just, you know, they just bum rushed them. We ended up right. Yeah, and rush the court and all that good stuff. Um, it's been a, I think Brandon summed it up pretty well and you, you've got it, you've got it here as well. Maybe the best way to describe what makes Duke so hateable is this hashtag that they have for their players, the brotherhood. <laughs> like, uh. you, exactly. Like, you are building a program for the past several seasons of guys that are coming in and turnstiling their way through this 
prestigious university. And you sell them on this idea that coming to Duke is going, you create this familial atmosphere that is always going to stay with you. And on top of selling them that atmosphere, you're selling it, you're literally selling it to them with a hashtag that everybody else can buy that you can put on t-shirts. Like it's a marketing tool, like never mind the family that has actually happened at Carolina and what actually the real brotherhood that's happened at Carolina. It's the fact that coach K has taken the idea and turned it into a marketing tool. Um, I mean, I, a lot of ways I have more respect for Calipari the way he does it. Uh, you can tell, like, I will always, always remember in 2017 after May hit that shot against Kentucky, how heartbroken those players, these one and done players were in that locker room for Kentucky. They bought in, they bought into the team concept and they playing for, playing for Cal and playing for that team actually meant something. And, you see these guys that Duke churns out that can't play a look of defense, that can't, that are just soulless people that have no idea <laughs> as to what an actual family means. Like, look, I have a unique perspective of living in Boston and like they, the Celtics currently have two of these one and dones on their team right now. They have Kyrie Irving and they have Jason Tatum. Kyrie Irving right now is like a persona non grata in Boston because he's changed his mind about three different times about what he wants to do in his free agency coming this offseason. And Jason Tatum started the season by basically acting like they were already NBA final. They had already won like multiple NBA finals. It, there's, it's, it, and that's, that's a product of the Duke program. Like that, that's, that is what makes this so hateable that the that uh, the fan base has like bought this whole thing hook line and sinker to the point to where someone on this team you talked earlier about Zion not hating the coverage of Zion but not hating Zion like there's not a hateable guy on this team because nobody on this team has stayed long enough to actually be hateable and it's it's just a complete sellout of what it's not even because of a principle. It was Krzyzewski seeing what Calipari was doing, realizing it was the only way that he could win. And now he doesn't even, and now Kay doesn't even have to do the work of team building. He just gets uh, enough recruits to start an AAU team, throws the ball out there and see what, and sees what happens. It's anyway. So that, that's, I mean, that's kind of where my the the hatred for them comes. I mean, it's it's for the program and it's for the coach, and it's less and less about hating the actual players. It really is, and that that was all just beautiful. So that that is, if if I had a four minute elevator pitch for this podcast, it would just be you cooking there. Um, <laughs> and and what kind of occurred to me when you were talking is that, and I know I've mentioned this before, but where. Calipari is all about the players and getting them to the NBA. There is no such agenda for uh, Coach K when he talks about, you know, he's still the guy who said, um, kids alert in the car, uh, you're fucking my program to William Avery. And the guy who, you know, is not there at draft night and celebrating the accomplishments of his players, but rather the accomplishments of 
what he's been able to do with USA basketball. He kind of turns it into the self-fulfilling agenda where I think you're right, Al. You know, I don't really fear as much losing to Duke now because it's not the John Shires and the Kyle Singlers and, you know, those annoying floor-slapping pests playing. It's guys who you don't see long enough to really develop a hatred for. So, Joe, you've got uh, you've got two pretty tough ones to match up to. So, why do you hate Duke? So, first of all, Coach K is also the guy that said, my back hurts, let's not count these games. So, just for the record, I mean, he's full of a lot of sayings. But, you know, I think the real question is, as humans, why do we hate people that kick dogs? Why do we not like it when our technology doesn't work on the podcast? Sometimes it's difficult to correctly define what evil is, but we all know it when we see it. And from my mind, that's Duke. And, you know, the thing is about them, and granted, Coach K's become a really, really good recruiter over the last few years. He can get a lot of guys there. They're not winning that much, right? They're, they're doing pretty well during the regular season, and then once their sponsored broadcast team gets to quit covering their games, they find ways to lose. And then it's only a matter of a couple of weeks, and they're the number one story again because they get a good class for the next year. The reason why I don't like them right now, and look, I'm, everybody's not like Duke for a very long time, and it used to be that I would watch almost as many of their games as I did Carolina games just because I wanted to root for whoever it was that was playing them. Clearly my second favorite team in all of college basketball. But the truth is, is that what Duke is doing to college basketball is borderline ruining it. They are creating a farm league for the NBA instead of espousing the virtues of the college game and prompting winning and sportsmanship and development, which are the things that college basketball is about. And that's why I hate Duke right now. Okay, so what about uh, eight years ago? Let's uh, let's take a hop in the Wayback Machine because I think you probably have some thoughts for there too. <laughs> eight years ago. So nobody knew what floor slapping was eight years ago. You know, that was just something that all the cool kids did when you wanted to fake like you were playing defense. But I guess that's fine. So you get out there and do that. I mean, the truth is, and honestly, you know, I've read a lot of books on it. The truth is, as a guy from who grew up in the sticks and sort of felt like I was a, you know, I was a public education guy and I was sort of a guy that people and that kind of thing, I always looked at Duke as the elites and, and that was it. And not, not the elites from a college basketball town perspective, but the socially elites. And that was the persona that Coach K has always engendered vis-a-vis Carolina, which has always been a school of the people and a school where, uh, you know, where anybody can come and be successful. And it was an us versus them. And it's sort of either, um, either you're a, a person who likes the concept of, of teamwork and coming together, or you're a person that likes the concept of, uh, tripping players and flexing after dunks and I don't know, whatever else that these idiots do on that team. But I mean, the point is there's lots of things that you can hate about them, but it's the, it's sort of the principle of those schools that make them so different from a cultural and a, a just a philosophical perspective that makes it, in my mind, very, very easy to pick one over the other. And I, I, I just wanted to throw something in. Can we, I didn't want to write, I don't want to write about this because I don't want something that could be printed out, but can we talk about 
the undeserved reputation of the quote unquote Cameron crazies at this point. When was the last time that that group of six digit tuition payers that spend two months outside in tents actually did something creative besides stand up and jump up and down and read off of copied cheer sheets? Like, so, so, be- so I will say, well, let me just say, cheering when State <laughs> scored 25 was pretty good. I'm just going to say, that was pretty good. <laughs> that was pretty amazing. But, we we but did we the same thing, Chapel but it Hill, is though, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but it they was were very actually coordinated in Cameron. It was pretty good. They were actually chanting 24 up until, like, they passed the mark, and then they started cheering like it. It wasn't creative, but it was funny. I'll, I'll give them that. It was what? funny. What was weird that I noticed during the state game was that they had just one guy who is absolutely a Dungeons and Dragons master in his, uh, in the rest of his life, but, uh, was wearing yeah, a luchador one. mask and he, and he was the guy that was, you know, instructing them what to do at certain points during the game. So, I mean, it's not even cheer sheets anymore. It's just, uh, I don't, I, well, I guess it is cheer sheets, but I mean, basically just, uh, play calling them, you know, this is what you say here. So, you know, just kind of demonstrates a lack of fundamental understanding of the game of basketball, perhaps. But, Al, uh, keep cooking. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, you know, it's the idea of when you're fans and you actually go to, when you're student section, you go to a game, like, some of the best cheers and some of the best things that happen are stuff that's just organic. It, it happens as a result of what happens. You know, Duke famously takes credit for the airball chant. You know, they had the, whether you want to argue about it being racially motivated or not, they had the JR can't read sign back in the day. They had the, they had the thong wearer to distract the, the free throw shooter back in the early nineties. Like they, they had, they had a reputation of being creative. I remember them actually stealing the Jordan jersey and almost being able and almost like they had it set up to where they would have unfurled the Jordan jersey, but have crossed out the two and put it with a three and have like put Hill on top of it for Grant Hill. Like they, they used to be creative and now it's just this whole thing. Like if you read the stories about what it takes to actually be a quote unquote Cameron crazy, and the work that it takes for them to do that, you start to realize that it just, they're living off of the, they're living off of the reputation of what the kids were doing before them. And it's almost like they're so happy to get in there. They're just going to, they're, they're just going to listen to whatever some mindless leader tells them to do. And it's like, Oh, here are these copy cheer sheets. Like before we even get the game started on Wednesday night, Someone in the media is going to tweet out what the dirt that they have on Carolina is, and it will be tweeted out in enough time that if any of the players have Twitter, they're going to be able to look at their phone and they're going to be able to see, oh, okay, so this is what they're going to say about us. And it's not going to be anything, it's not going to be anything new. Like it's going to be stuff that they know. It, it just, it annoys me that they, that they get this repu- they, they are living off of this reputation for being this clever group of students when in reality, the cleverness left that section a long time ago. I mean, do they low-key have a cult over there? I mean, they got cheer sheets. They brainwash players with the Brotherhood stuff. Like, it, 
it's it's just weird. They live in tents. There was a nameless, right. faceless they leader out there over there. <laughs> right. I mean, to be um, in the to be in the student section to do this. I remember reading the story. They get on the floor. They actually have to answer. They take a test where they have to answer like questions about Duke basketball history, and then on top of that, they have to like. They have to live in these tents. They're paying like six digits per year to attend this university. And for the honor of going to a basketball game, they have to live, they live outside of a tent. It just, it's, it, it's ridiculous. It, it, it really is ridiculous for, and there are so many other student sections that at this point do this. Like I'd argue that if Carol, I, I mean, I state doesn't have to do all that sort of stuff, and they sure as hell created an intimidating environment when you're there at the PNC. It's not about how dedicated the students are. It's basically how many students can you have to surround the court. You know, when they built the PNC, they realized that two-thirds of the court needed to be circled by students, so they're loud. You know, it, it just – anyway. Uh, it just the, the 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 reputation that they have and just the cult like following that they have for their they they have for it is just it's disturbing. It's it, it's just it's disturbing. It really is. <laughs> it, it it really is though, and I, I don't really know if I have anything to add. Um, I will say just from my experience, I went I went to a game at Duke in high school. And I think they were playing maybe St. John's or somebody. But what I realized and have since, you know, for the last 15 years of my life have noticed is that the Cameron Crazies circle the entire floor. They, whoever um, is in charge of the camera work, you know, in Cameron Indoor Stadium does a great job of not showing the other side of the Cameron Crazies unless it's the UNC. Uh, used to be the Maryland game. I'd say maybe Syracuse is up there now. But the student section is never full. It is never full unless it's Carolina or Syracuse. And that I just wish is... Al would be a little more honest. If can we, Al, can we just a little more honest? <laughs> I feel like you're I, sort of hiding like things a little. Let, come on. Let, let, I, let me tell you this: when I was a senior, because I was in the band, I got the honor of being able to go to the game, but I still was able to get my hands on tickets, and that was before they checked IDs to. Uh, the folks who had tickets, basically, if you had a ticket, you got into the game. So I, like a good son, got my mom tickets to that Duke game. Um, it was the senior day game that we ended up losing. Thank you, Doherty. But um, at this time, the student seats were right behind the visitor's bench. And my mom spent the entire game yelling at Krzyzewski. I don't know if he heard her. Knowing my mom, at some point, he probably did. But that's what I grew up with. So I come by it, honestly. <laughs> well, um, so certainly made for some good uh, podcast fodder. I had to mute myself from laughing a couple of times because there was, you know, it, it, it wasn't because it was funny. It was because everything you said was just so damn true. Um, guys, I hate to kick it to predictions, but I guess it's that time. And Brandon, we haven't heard quite as much from you recently, so I'm going to let you lead it off. Um, <laughs> Wednesday night, nine o'clock. Uh, well, first of all, are you going to watch on ESPN or Raycom? I've got, I've got theories on this. I am leaning very heavily towards Raycom because otherwise I may go insane. Um, we'll see how that goes though. 
Um, predictions wise, I really hate to say this. So I think what's going to happen is Duke will probably win by five. Um, I think this will be one of those games that's going to be like 3D chess. And I just think that it won't be until the game in the Dean Smith Center to where Roy Williams is going to be able to make the appropriate adjustments and, you know, home court advantage and such. Like, I, I really think that they can match up with Duke decently. I don't think that the odds are in their favor necessarily, but the thing is you only have to beat them at least – I mean, you know, you have – as good of a shot to beat them as Louisville did, as State did, as Syracuse did, as Gonzaga did. Like, Carolina offensively is better than all of those teams. So I just don't think that this Wednesday is the one, but I think round two will probably go to them. Okay, so you're giving us a prediction for the podcast in about 17 days as well. Which, oh, by the way, we play Duke again in like two and a half weeks. So, you know, kind That's of keeping the experience a little bit, man. Um, yeah, I don't know what, and if the ACC is going to 20 games, this is just going to be the hot take that I'm going to fire off here. They should play like first week of January, you know, maybe five or six games into conference play next year. Um, I- Mr. Carpenter, Joe C. You had a thought, which I'm going to let you go with, but then I'm going to need your Raycom or ESPN and your score. Oh, love it all. First of all, tell me, it, it, who is doing the commentary on ESPN? I have not, I have not seen the broadcast assignments yet. Um, you got to tell me that. You got Shulman it. and Billis. Yep. And Maria Taylor. All right. All right. So, so frankly, uh, that's a, Pretty good combination of commentary from my standpoint. Um, I, I think that they do a pretty good job. Um, where I am, the coverage tends to be like the, it, it tends to be a little clearer, frankly, on ESPN. So probably going to lean that way. Um, you know, from a, from a standpoint, of, you know, taking a guess, I, I'm going to tell you, I think Carolina's got a better chance to win in Cameron than they do in Chapel Hill, honestly. Uh, I think that they're going to be in a high school gym and the sight lines are really good for three point shooting. And in order to win, Carolina is going to have to shoot a lot better than Duke is. And so what I'm looking for is they're going to come out and they're going to have to make in the 15 to 18 threes, you know, they're going to jack up about 30 of them. I think, I mean, I think it's going to be a lot of shots in this game. Uh, and I think Carolina keeps it very, very close. Um, my instincts tell me, uh, that Duke probably is, is better. Although maybe that's just cause I watched some college basketball commentary on television this morning and found out that the game had apparently already been played and that Duke was the greatest team in the history of college basketball, which is fascinating. Uh, cause I'm sure all the greatest teams lose to Syracuse at home. But anyway, I, um, I'm going to say I'm going to go with the heels. I, I think we pull it out on this one. Uh, I think it's close and I'm looking for it to be a little lower scoring, uh, than a lot of, a lot of people think. I think it gets a little tight, but that the Carolina shooting, 
ends up winning out in a game that maybe settles someplace in the, the low 80s. Al, it's up to you. We've got one Carolina win, one Duke win, one Raycom, one ESPN. So break some ties for us. Well, first off, I don't have a choice up in Boston. I've uh, railed about this on Twitter. Uh, the ACC is so popular in Boston that the station that uses uh, Raycom only shows Raycom on the weekends. Uh, so uh, I have no choice but to watch ESPN, which I'm okay with. Um, as uh, as Joe said, I I would actually rather listen to Shulman and uh, Billis than Brando and Jamiski. And I'm actually thankful I'm going to the Carolina BC game that's also going to be on Raycom. Um, partly because I don't have to stream it, partly because I don't have to listen likely to Brando again. Um, now, since I agreed with Joe for the TV choice, I'm going to agree with Brandon on the prediction. Um, we, Brandon caught this early. I think you caught this earlier today, um, that Carolina was six and nine, um, under Roy at Cameron and four of those wins were in the Psycho T era. Um, you know, Roy said it earlier today that it's not a building that defeats them. It's the guys in the shorts that actually beats them when they're out on the court. But the fact is, is that they've had, they've had double digit leads in Cameron. They've not been able to hold on to them. Um, and as much as you rail against the makeup of this team to argue that this team isn't good right now is just sticking your head in the sand. Um, I feel that Carolina is going to get a split. Um, and I think on some level you can't fully appreciate or adjust how to defend this team until you see them live. And I don't know if Roy will have enough time to do it in the first game. I, I do think that the, I do think that, um, a lot of factors, whereas Duke probably will have the regular season locked up. Um, they're going to be looking more towards March. Uh, Roy will, um, have, uh, the guys will have had experience playing these guys. You'll have the home court. I do feel better about our chances um, in a couple of weeks, but I tend to think this will be a five to ten point win for Duke and Cameron on Wednesday night. Well, there's four of us here. I guess it's my job to even everything out. Um, being that it might be the last chance ever to watch a, a game on Raycom because, you know, frankly, if it's not Carolina, I'm not watching it. Um, I will at least start there, do the Brando and Jaminski thing, although I kind of cringed when I remember that Jaminski was the other guy there. Um, I'll probably make that switch at halftime. I do think if UNC is going to get one of the two, it's going to be this one on Wednesday night, uh, just based on the fact that Duke's starting four freshmen, and Marcus Bolden, who's been there before, but, you know, really, UNC can dictate the pace of the game because Duke's players are going to be so caught up in it being Carolina Duke and, you know, seeing the black and white flashing advertisements on um, on TV right now, even, you know, as I watch the end of the Virginia-Virginia Tech game, I just think... This is a situation where UNC has a veteran team. They've been largely to Cameron before. You have Kobe White, who said he grew up a Duke fan, but could channel that and score 35 on him, for all we know. I just like, you know, not the physical matchups, but just the 
I, I would say the mental matchups on the court favor UNC very, very, very heavily, the same way the physical ones favor Duke. So I'm going to say UNC gets Duke into a UNC-type game, wins in the 96 to 91 range, and we are all back on this podcast on Wednesday night celebrating. I hope you're right because I you don't want right. to deal with a super depressed me after, you know, a buzzer beater or something like that by Cam Reddish. I'm just saying. Oh, if, if it's a buzzer beater, Brandon, um, we are going full explicit content on the podcast sometime <laughs> late Wednesday night. God bless you, sir. <laughs> um, just, just a quick story. I, I don't want to end on a downer. Uh, the year Austin Rivers hit the buzzer beater. I was living with a good friend of mine named Daniel and he was to this day would still claim that he did not know the outcome of the game, but I was watching it at a bar in Atlanta. He called me maybe three minutes after the game was over. It's like, Hey man, where are you at? Uh, how'd the game go? And to this moment, I hate him for that. So <laughs> I cannot have another buzzer beater in my life, but, um, uh, God, God but, rest Stuart Scott. I remember after I remember sports center on that game. He drew the duty of calling, uh, of doing the highlights on that. It just looked like he 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 basically emoted every Carolina fan that night. Any objectivity just yeah. went out the window right after that game. Yeah, I still remember. Like I feel like everybody remembers exactly where they were for that game. I remember I didn't get to watch the whole game. I caught like last maybe five minutes and I was just like I don't because you know I was living in Illinois and I just had a bunch going on and whatever but like I turned it on and I'm watching it and I was just like oh they got a shot and like you know all this and then the shot happened and I don't think in any Carolina Duke game I have felt such like anger and just like eternal bitterness as I did after that one, like even now that he's in the NBA, like every time I see Austin Rivers, I'm like, I hope that you wake up and you just can't shoot one day. Like the ball just forever goes into the stands. And also I hope you trip on your shoelace. And that he, he, he wakes up and he can't way, shoot every day. Have you seen him playing in the NBA? Yeah. But oh, by the way, a game, a game we would have won if Zeller would not have scored a basket for Duke. We would have won that game anyway. So just pointing that I out. I about that too. Yep, there you yeah. go. Thanks. <laughs> um, well, I don't want to end on that, so can somebody drop a positive memory in the inverse? Oh, by the way, uh, just shout out to Jake Lawrence right quick. UNC did win the game that Jeff Cable hit the buzzer beater in, just so everybody knows. Yes, I I remember that one. I, I remember watching that one vividly, and – it still pisses me off to this day that like Capel gets celebrated for hitting that buzzer beater, but like Carolina won, and one of the best dunks in Carolina history happened in that game too with Jerry Stackhouse. Um, that '95 game was that '95 game in Cameron. I think to a large extent is still my favorite game of this rivalry. Just watching that one, even even though Duke was, even though Shashevsky was was quote unquote hurt at that point. Um, it was still one of my favorite games to to remember way, just because I, of back forth. I've got a blow up of the Danny Green dunk, uh, full court going down <laughs> in camera and Fury offered yes. just a little uh, mm. uh, after dinner drink, uh, just a little spot of tea there. That was fantastic. 
Well, Greg, yeah. I was going to say Greg Paulus got the true blow up there. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, would you like a spot of tea? 